over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved. Here is Dr. James Houck. Right. Good evening, everybody, wherever you are in the world at this time. Welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity, finding one's courage to reclaim that which has always been in you. In fact, finding one's courage to reclaim that which you have always been. I'm Dr. James Houck, and if you would like more information about me or to leave me your comments about tonight's show, invite you to visit the website. It's www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. That's www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. I am very excited to be with you here tonight and every other Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And for those of you who might be turning in for the very first time, I just want to say welcome to the show. And uh, you will notice that each and every other week, these broadcasts are dedicated to the integration of spirituality and our mental health. And the integration is the key, because I'm, if you haven't heard me say it before, you'll hear me say it a thousand times. Integration is the key, because when we're uh, faithful to the integration, a wonderful transformation is bound to occur. And just in case you cannot spend the entire uh, show with me tonight, these broadcasts are podcasted. In case you want to go back and listen again, or you can go back into the archives, archives and listen to previous shows. And these shows are now also available for download on Audible and Amazon Music. And uh, if you would like to call in and be part of the show tonight, or you want to call in with any questions or comments you might have, that number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after the break at the bottom of the hour. So, welcome to February the 14th. A lot is going on today. It's, of course, Valentine's Day, as well as Ash Wednesday, which begins the season of Lent for Christians. Uh, Lent is a 40-day observance leading up to Easter, which I believe this year is at the end of March, since we are in a leap year. And uh, typically, uh, Lent, uh, or I should say Ash Wednesday, is marked off by a day of fasting and introspection, and ashes, and prayer and reflection on the events that led up to the life and teachings, the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ. And, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today, and one of the aspects of Jesus's life that I really connect with is how Jesus did not wait for others to come to him, but rather he went directly to the people. Now, we do have stories where, you know, people did seek him out, but, you know, I really appreciate the fact that, you know, Jesus had to go through a certain town, let's say, and I tend to believe that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. So he didn't wait for others to come to him. 
Rather, he went directly to the people, especially the ones who were considered by society as untouchable or unreachable or even those who were considered unlovable. And, you know, it has always broken my heart to see how society never stops to consider the principles of karma or the truth of what you sow, you're going to reap. And so on and so forth. What goes around comes around. You know, we have many others. And oftentimes, society creates the very problems that it's trying to so-called fix. When in reality, the answer is not just about passing laws or throwing monies at programs. But rather, the answer is found in healing relationships. And this reminds me of the old hot dog vendor joke that uh, a curious customer, you know, overheard one day and decided to try it on this hot dog vendor. And so this person would ask, make me one with everything, to which the vendor would calmly reply, uh, sir, I cannot do this because you already are one with everything. You just don't know it yet. But despite this fact, many people do not want to be one with everything because it is safer, I think, to create a distance or a duality between people as in a, an us versus them kind of mentality. And people often struggle with the understanding and embracing that there is oneness with everything and everyone. But the fact is, as my teacher puts it, uh, that the one that lives for a little while and the one that is eternal live close together, like two fingers. And how close is the wave to the water? Are they even two separate entities? Where did the individual soul go? Did the individual soul become supreme consciousness or was the individual soul never there? So that's oneness. And, you know, as social beings, it's often within the context of relationships that we experience tremendous pain and suffering from overt acts of betrayal and cruelty that somebody has inflicted against us, or even vice versa, to simply being in the wrong place at the wrong time, and then we suffer something very traumatic. Many people bear the scars of the physical, psychological, emotional and spiritual wounds. And yet, ironically, just as we experience our woundedness in and through relationships, unhealthy relationships, it's also within the context of healthier relationships that we can find our healing, our voice, our authenticity. And not only this, but once we realize our oneness to all things and all people, then we can truly live authentically and we can live more compassionately. And so the difficulty then is often finding the courage within ourselves to discover that which has always been in us. You know, those, those gifts and graces, those skills and our uniqueness that we have come into the world with. It's uh, what John Dunn Scottish, the Scottish Franciscan, in the 1300s, he coined the, the, the word hachetas, or a thisness. Okay, it's, it's a uniqueness. It's a, it's a thisness. Because I'm a firm believer that we all come into this world 
with everything we need for ourselves and others. But through our various experiences, we have given away parts, if not the whole, of that uniqueness or that thisness. And we never truly discover who we are. And perhaps we, we did this because we didn't feel as though we just simply couldn't live up to another person's expectation of us. We just simply couldn't be for them who they wanted us to be for them. Or perhaps we hid that uniqueness, that hachayatas from others in order to survive abuse. Okay? Or perhaps those aspects of ourselves that have been taken away from us and we just simply didn't have the strength to fight it. But either way, when we become aware that we have done these things, it takes tremendous courage then to reclaim who we are. And we can reclaim our voice, our uniqueness, our thisness. It didn't go anywhere, but it's hidden from us. And forgiveness and kindness and compassion really begins with how we treat ourselves. Because, again, another one of my firm beliefs is that when we are compassionate with ourselves, we then can be more compassionate with others. And when we are forgiving with ourselves, we then can be more forgiving with others. And when we're able to live in gratitude with ourselves, we then discover how this opens our hearts to see and live in gratitude with others. So all in all, first and foremost, transformation begins with ourselves. And this is what reclaiming authenticity is, is really all about, namely the focus on the integration of spirituality and our mental health, all within the context of healthier relationships with ourselves and others and God or the divine. So welcome to tonight's show, The Echo of Oneness, listening from your soul. And as I will be talking about in this show is basically uh, about how we can recognize our oneness with all people and all things because of the connectedness that we share with one another. So let's begin by talking about a subject that most people are uncomfortable with, okay? namely silence. Now, after today, if you're out shopping or running around or you get home from the restaurant or whatever is going on for this Valentine's Day evening and you can't wait to get home and you now decompress and relax and you enjoy some peace and quiet. And we've all been there. Okay? We, we all crave some sort of peace and quiet relaxation, but it's not exactly the same thing as being in silence. And this is what I mean. You would think that quiet and silence are not the same thing, you know, but let me explain that a little bit further, because when you think about quiet, we may tend to think that it is the absence of sound, or at least stifling the noise around us okay and we even have you know noise canceling earphones and earbuds and so forth okay maybe you got a pair for christmas this past year but these are helpful in eliminating background sound which allows us to work from home or beyond conference calls without all the distractions or perhaps we listen to music more fully without interference okay and if you 
don't uh, have a pair of earphones, I highly recommend that you add that to your list for your birthday this year. Okay, so that is quiet. Silence, on the other hand, is different. In a spiritual, let's say, meditative sense, silence is more intentional. It's, it's intentionally entering into a state of inner peace and tranquility. And it's more than just quieting our minds by dismissing all of the checklists of things that we have to do. But entering into silence is more intentional because we seek to communicate with God on a soul level, a place where words are not necessary, let alone words are unable to follow. And this is when we discover that the human language is actually a hindrance to listening to, let's say, the cry of our souls. Because you see, we can be in prayer, but if our minds are racing a mile a minute, then we're not in silence. Now, I'll be the first one to admit out there that quiet and silence are often interchangeable in the mind of society. And I did a little checking earlier this week because I've often heard it said that there is sound in silence. And maybe I'm nostalgic, but I remember the Simon and Garfunkel song, The Sound of Silence. But does silence really have sound? Well, it all depends on who you ask. Because there's many interpretations out there of sound and silence. Because according to Dr. Seth Horowitz of Brown University, he writes in his book, Universal Sense, that in truly quiet areas, you can even hear the sound of air molecules vibrating inside your ear canals or the fluid in your ears themselves. Now, others may interpret silence as a moment when something is left unsaid because words themselves are unnecessary. It could cause a gap in the conversation when silence itself replaces words. And also, silence can be a strong indication of empathy. And when we are really uh, tuning in to how another person is feeling about what they're saying, we're listening more to the tone of their voice and speed rather than the actual words. As in, there is an awareness of pain and suffering in others that is so deep that words just simply cannot express adequately. So, in one sense, you can say that silence has sound, but more accurately, silence has vibration. A vibration that can not only be heard by our ears and interpreted in our minds, but that vibration is also felt deep within. And it's this characteristic of silence that requires no words. And just as we have the capacity for language, we also have this same capacity for vibration. And this is why we need to realize that when we choose the words we say, they too carry with them not only the sound of energy, but also our words and our energy have the power to heal, or it has also the power to wound. If uh, 
you're a big fan of movies of the 90s, let's say. You might remember the movie Mr. Holland's Opus. You recall that Mr. Holland was a music teacher. He was a lover of music. Uh, he loved jazz. Uh, I believe one of his uh, favorite musicians was uh, uh, Coltrane. And, uh, you know, but he had a son who was born without the sense of hearing. And as his son grew up, as his son got older, he just loved to work on older cars. And he used a mechanic's stethoscope to listen to the engine's vibration. And he would be able to feel if the engine was running smoothly or if something in the engine was misfiring. And an underlying, very subtle message in the movie was that human beings can be attuned to higher and higher vibrations that connect us with higher parts of ourselves. And this even helped Mr. Holland put on a high school concert in which the sounds of his orchestra were hooked up to bright lights so that every note, every drum beat, even the clash of cymbals, resonated with exploding flashes of colorful lights. It was really powerful, a powerful scene indeed, truly astonishing to watch. Well, we can feel sound and we can feel silence. Because after a sound is produced, the vibration continues. Uh, we can even listen to our own heartbeats through a stethoscope. But more importantly, we can also feel the vibration of our hearts. And when we experience forgiveness, and when we are able to release the negative energy and the pain that we've been hugging onto, those aspects of ourselves that no longer serve us we also tune into higher frequencies or vibrations, as it were. Think of it this way. Think of it as a, a music tuner using a tuning fork first by striking the prongs, thereby releasing a perfect wave pattern, and then adjusting the sound of an instrument so that the two vibrations are in sync. I mean, it's just really fascinating to watch a music tuner tune a piano or uh, another brass instrument, or something like that. Just, uh, it's very skilled how they use a tuning fork. And it's just uh, a perfect pitch after a while. But you know, even scripture reminds us of the importance of entering into silence through prayer and meditation, so that we also can benefit from that attunement. Because vibration takes us into another level of awareness. In fact, this is what the gurus and the swamis and the yogis teach, that in order to find God, you must first know how to enter into silence. And many ancient and contemporary practitioners of meditation often used chanting of sacred sounds to help them be in sync with these higher vibrations, such as chanting the sacred sound of Om. And back in the 90s, I remember how science discovered that whenever we chant OM, a vibration of sound is felt through your vocal cords that clears and opens up the sinuses. And they also discovered that chanting OM also has cardiovascular benefits. It reduces stress and relaxes your body. That brings down, you know, blood pressure on to a more normal level. And the heart beats with a regular rhythm. 
So I invite you, if you've never chanted Om, uh, set aside just initially uh, a minute, three minutes, five minutes, and work your way up. But see how you feel and just feel and listen to the, the sound and the vibration of Om. Now, the more attuned we are with the presence of God, the more we will experience this uh, empathetic resonance, that this resonance of our soul coming into the resonance with the soul of God. And here we come back to oneness. And what we discover in being more fully connected to the soul of God then is that we are connected to things that bring us great joy as well as being connected to things that are disturbing and cause us great suffering. But still, we embrace all to be an extension of God's presence or God's grace and healing for people who are presently looking and listening for God's presence, grace, and healing. In other words, we embrace all things in order to create a space for transformation to occur in all persons. And there it is again, this connectedness, this oneness. Sound connects us. Vibration connects us. Yeah, but you know, as, as transformed and, and transforming people, uh, it's interesting to note that we simply cannot pick and choose when and where, why, and even how God will use us. You know, instead... Uh, since we expect that God is more than able to understand and embrace all aspects of our lives, then should we not be willing to be the same for others and be the same for ourselves? Okay. For example, if let's say we pray, you know, for God to use us as healers, it should not come as a surprise that we are going to be placed in circumstances where there is pain sorrow, and suffering. And if we want God to grant us ancient wisdom, it should also not come as a surprise that we're going to be placed in situations where people are impulsive and lack insight. And if we want God to use us as peacemakers, well, then it should be no surprise that we will be placed in times of war, chaos, and death. In fact, to work for peace, we may have to expose ourselves to non-peaceful situations. And the same is true in that if we, if we work to be more and more authentic, then we're going to find ourselves at times being exposed to inauthentic people and situations. And as a result, the question for us then is when we listen to, for God, what do we hear? Now, moreover, contemplation helps us reclaim our authentic selves as silence awakens the deepest desires of our soul. Now, before I fully understood the value of contemplation and quieting myself, I, I viewed silence as not only the absence of noise, but also the absence of God. I mean, to, to be quite honest, I knew that silence was there. Okay? I just knew it was there, but I, I did not know how to enter into it or even how to listen for God in the silence. 
uh, a great movie that communicates this truth is the 2013 film, The Cherokee Word for Water, which followed the work that led Wilma Mankiller to become the first contemporary female chief of the Cherokee Nation. And I, mean, I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it, The Cherokee Word for Water. And in it, just a lot of contemplation, a lot of listening for God's voice. In fact, in listening to the water, what does the water need from us? What do we need from the water? And so forth. So I'm not going to spoil it for you because it's a great, great story to begin with. So again, the 2013 film, The Cherokee Word for Water. Now, speaking of water, here's another great exercise. Uh, the next time you drink water, meditate on its characteristics of light and sound that it makes. Okay? Contemplate how the molecular structure of water, you know, H2O, gives life to our human breath, O2 and CO2. Okay? Now, consider how God has breathed life into us and where we feel that breath matter movement of God in our lives. Because when we're able to recognize that and we understand it and we embrace it, water is indeed liquid light. Now, to take this understanding one step further, as we swallow water, enter into the silence of gratitude for water's life-giving properties. You know, it's liquid light. Uh, deeply connect with how the essence of water helps us to discover our inner voice so that we can be a voice for those who have no water, let alone who are unable to speak or who have been unable to find their voice. And yet, you know, there are times we crave quiet, okay, but, but we can certainly be uncomfortable with silence. And we must not only be comfortable with silence, but also being comfortable in silence. And silence does carry sound, and with that sound, there is vibration. And there's actually more to silence than just waiting to talk. In counseling therapy, whenever a client is silent, uh, it's often understood as displaying some form of inner resistance, of not wanting to talk as an act of defiance. But this is not always the case. And I always use silence in the counseling therapy as a means to heighten the empathy between myself and a client. And sometimes their suffering is so great that they just do not have the words, and we end up sitting in silence. And that's okay, because of the vibration that the silence creates and provide healing on some level to a certain degree in another's life. Well, I would really love to hear what's on your heart about this subject. So again, if you would like to call in, that number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after the break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity, and I'm your host, Dr. James Houck. I'll be back with you in one minute.
Okay, welcome back, everybody. I'm Dr. James Hauken. You are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. This is a lot going on today. This February the 14th. It's Valentine's Day. Yes, of course. And if you have a particular sweetheart, uh, I hope that you are spending it uh, in just very, very loving and kind ways. Um, as I was sharing with some of my clients earlier today that, uh, you know, they asked me, like, well, what are you, you and your wife doing on Valentine's Day? And I said, well, later tonight I have the radio show and so forth. <laughs> but I said, you know, we um, we understand that February 14th is set aside as Valentine's Day. And we get that. And, and you know, we, we exchange gifts to one another. But we also take advantage of sharing those same gifts with one another at different times throughout the year. So, you know, um, just a lot of times I just pick up uh, an expensive bouquet of flowers because they look pretty and everything. Come home, trim them, put them in a vase and, you know, say these are for you. Um, now, uh, my wife also likes chocolate. And so uh, if I can find them, I typically get her chocolate covered cherries. Now, when we were first married, whenever I got her chocolate covered cherries, you know, she loved it. But lately, as in like the last 10, 15 years, whenever I get her chocolate-covered cherries, she had always thanked me for them and then look at me strange and say, okay, what did you do? <laughs> I'm like, I didn't do anything. You know, I just, I saw these and I know how you like them, so I just decided to get them for you, you know? And she's like, are you sure you're not telling me, you know... Uh, you're not being honest with me and like i am being completely honest with you i got these just because and so she's let down her paranoia a little bit uh, as if i'm trying to make amends for something that she is unaware of so um well yeah that's uh, valentine's day as well as this is also ash wednesday which is the first day of the season of lent which is a 40 day um 40 day uh, let's see, observance, uh, a lot of prayer, introspection, some fasting, and focusing on the uh, events that led up to the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ, which takes us right into Easter. Okay, so a lot, lot going on today. So, uh, but uh, earlier in the show, I was uh, talking about silence, and I was talking about vibration. And I was also talking about oneness and so on and so forth. And uh, uh, regarding silence, you know, how we can uh, be comfortable being in silence because we're listening to our soul. And that also brings us into a realization of just how one we are with all things and all people. But, you know, if there's one lesson that I have learned over the years, it's that suffering and silence often go hand in hand. And this is also another way to understand the vibration of silence, that when a person or a people are forced into silence and they believe that they have no voice, but how do we reach beyond the stories into the silences that they hide. You know, this is something that I had uh, taught students for, you know, not only um, 
hone your listening skills and listen for metaphors and specific language and listen for the tone of people and so on and so forth, but also listen for what's not being said. Or more importantly, listen for what cannot be said. And when we find ourselves in that moment, we can simply hold the space for another story's to emerge. And this was a phenomenon that author Yurvashi Butalia understood all too well. And in her book entitled The Other Side of Silence, uh, she wrote about how 50 years later, the people of India and Pakistan still grieved the partition, the historical partition of 1947. And she wrote that she also noticed that when she interviewed people about how life has changed for them since the partition, the men and the women not only told their stories differently, but also she noticed how the women had more periods of silence in their stories. And for instance, you know, if their husbands or their sons were around, um, you know, these men would take over the interview, often making women lapse into a sort of silence. And uh, she noted that this was not uncommon because many oral histories have written about the difficulty of speaking to and with women, of learning to listen differently, often listening to the hidden nuances or, let's say, the half-said thing. And all in all, she's finding, or she found when she wrote this book, that it was in the silence, which was sometimes more eloquent than speech. But, you know, we, we live in a three-dimensional world, you know, and we, we are governed by time and space, and structures and form. And we also live in a, a chronological order of linear time that consists of past, present, and future. That is often experienced through our five senses of sight, sound, touch, smell, and taste. And just how often we are pulled in the direction of opposites, such as how we are loved or how we are not loved, what we have, what we do not have, how we connect or how we disconnect, and are we good? Or are we bad? And we perceive things and people in this dichotomy of being good or bad or right or wrong or all or nothing thinking in this duality. And these polarities are actually forming us a state of being or they create in us limited perception. And perhaps we often want to connect with God on this lower level of awareness. And that's fine. God will, will meet us exactly where we are. And that's one thing that Scripture often emphasizes, is that you know, it doesn't matter. God will come to us. God will search us and seek us out and meet us right where we are in our understanding. But I also guarantee you that it's not God's ultimate desire for us to remain there. There's so much more for us to realize about God and so much more for us to realize about the universe and ourselves. So, in other words, we ain't seen nothing yet. So, let's say the first step 
in raising our awareness, that is becoming attuned to, say, a higher vibration of, uh, let's say, 432 megahertz, okay, is to first understand that we're not the body, but rather we are souls within the body. God knew us before we were born, and God certainly knows everything about us, and yet we have yet to realize these things in ourselves, to see ourselves as souls living in this world. And this is more in line with who we truly are. And when we are able to grasp this, you know, this oneness comes in, this vibration of oneness and this connectedness comes in, because we not only see ourselves as souls, but we also see each other as souls. But, you know, this might be especially difficult to grasp at first, because no matter, you know, how high our spiritual awareness or spiritual attunement becomes, we still have to contend with the physical form that gets hungry, and then have to contend with illnesses and diseases. We have to contend with the body that feels pain, and, and then we have to contend with the body that needs to bathe. In fact, there is still work to be done, food to be grown, distributed, prepared, and enjoyed. Medicines need to be developed, and people need to be educated and trained in how the body works, as, as well as how to treat the body when it doesn't work. So certainly, we need to take care of this body as a vessel that houses our souls. But still... What makes the difference between identifying as merely a physical form rather than a soul is that we no longer choose to live in fear of everyday life, let alone the dying process because we are eternal. We can walk each day and interact with others, knowing that there is more to this life than what our senses can identify. Because what we see and hear and touch and taste and smell is very beautiful and, and good, but it's temporary. And everything else that we do not see and hear and touch and taste and smell is eternal. It's true. Our bodies also go through a change as our heightened spiritual awareness increases. And we need to honor this because we go through shifts in our awareness that may cause us to become more tired at times or more sensitive towards light and sound and temperature. You know, this is something that I've noticed in myself, you know, just I've become increasingly more sensitive to noise or just become increasingly more sensitive to bright lights and so forth. But you know, we may also go through states of hunger or no appetite, and we might even think we're going crazy at times. But all of these experiences in the body just means that we're shifting into higher consciousness and that the body has to adjust in order to handle the higher vibration. So, as I said, it often feels for me, though, time speeds up and I often become more sensitive to noise. Um, we may even feel lighter, which has nothing to do with the bathroom scale, but hey, wouldn't that be nice? So how do we shift into this increased spiritual experience, and, and how does this affect us physically? I mean, 
How and where is it most notable? Is it in our brainwave activity? Can we point to how our blood pressure lowers? Um, and how does our DNA shift on, let's say, a cellular level? Well, we already know that meditation decreases blood pressure. And we already know that meditation lowers heart rates and respiration and helps us sleep more soundly. It releases more oxytocin, not oxycotton, but oxytocin, and endorphins, and so forth. And it's interesting that in the, the area of near-death experience has really shown to affect people in terms of more of an emotional, psychological, physical, and spiritual, let's say, a benign virus, that they have such a radical shift in their awareness and desires and so on and so forth. But what is this shift that occurs in us moving us from, let's say, carbon energy to a more crystalline energy? Well, it involves releasing unneeded energies and replacing them with higher vibrations of love and light. And crystalline energy is the energy of light and love, which means that anything that's not in alignment with unconditional love and with our higher vibrational selves will gradually fade away. Now, as a society, we already know, what we have to do is just look at how through the centuries of history, we already know that cell memory occurs when we hold trauma in the body. And trauma can change our cells, it can change our genes. And this is what's called epigenetics. And, and these studies that came out of traumatic experiences, first of World War One, World War II, as, as well as other atrocities, whereby the trauma was over time stamped on a person's DNA and then passed along to future generations. Okay, and this is where we get the phrase, you know, intergenerational trauma or complex trauma or historical trauma. And when we shift into higher consciousness or higher vibration, that too creates a change in our DNA. And it actually can break up trauma that has altered the genes. And the same is true with our mental health. There is such a thing as crystallized intelligence, which encompasses everything that we have learned everything that we have experienced, everything that we've heard and tasted, every emotion that we have felt in the positive core memories and negative core memories. And all of these experiences are held in this crystallized intelligence, which has been shown to become stronger and more resilient over time. And this is why listening to the stories from our elders is so crucial for every generation because within those experiences come precious wisdom teachings that we need to integrate into our lives. But even within something so strong as our crystallized intelligence, there are unhealthy patterns of behaviors and distorted perspectives that need to be dissolved and released. And you're never too old to experience a radical shift in your vibrational awareness of your vast 
itself. And these vibrational shifts certainly show themselves, first and foremost, you guessed it, in relationships. Um, you know, more relationships become loving, more patient, and more forgiving with ourselves and others. So in a sense, when we ascend, it also affects us physically. But let's keep in mind that whenever we would um, help somebody or minister to them in the physical sense or the physical needs of another, it always has this spiritual effect or awakening on some level. So in other words, the soul is touched also. Now, as we begin this process of higher dimension, this higher dimensional relationship with God, we're going to be reminded of all the negative psychological, emotional, and spiritual patterns within our relationships that keep us stuck in the past. It's a, a really, it's a daily surrender or saying yes to be led by our soul's desires that connects us with God and the universe and one another. And there is oneness again. In other words, we let go of the former in order to take on something more life-giving and changing the energy of those things. We let go more easily because we're no longer controlled by fear, you know, but now we are compelled out of everlasting life and grace. Now, I've shared with you before that, you know, the metaphor of fire is transformation. And as we sit with ourselves and negative thoughts and emotions, etc., that come up in our awareness, we can send that energy into the fire to be transformed. We can send those things into the fire that have diminished the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual body. But sending it out, we need to be reminded that the, that energy needs to be transformed. I mean, not to be sent into the earth, because I'm convinced that the earth can no longer absorb all the negative energy that it's taking in. But instead, just as fire transforms wood into ash and dust, gas, etc., so it also goes up into the universe only to come back to us in the form of rain and snow or other forms of precipitation. And we can simply ask for this negative energy to be transformed into gifts that honor and sustain the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual body and heighten our awareness and vibration of our vast selves. And in doing so, over time, we're going to discover that we no longer wish to find peace, grace, and love, but rather we are peace, grace, and love. And we don't have to think about it. We just simply are. We have that connection. We have that oneness. We have that realization where we don't have to worry about what we're going to say or what we're going to do or, or, or whatever, because we can just simply be. And this sense of beingness absolutely generates a powerful, positive energy field, or let's say a, a vibrant R. And others can tell this even before we speak. You know, we no longer have to worry about what we're going to say. We can just simply be. 
and we can find ourselves being more fully present with ourselves and others as we begin to experience God in, let's say, the most unlikely places and through the most unlikely people, which is where God actually has been found all along. So, we humans always run into this temptation, and maybe you've ran into this too, where uh, we always want to quantify things, such as, well, there's a third heaven, which then we assume that it must be better than the second heaven, so that we can measure it or weigh it or compare its progress or regression and determine whether it places us with something better or worse than where we had before. And there's descriptions of third, fourth, fifth, and even higher dimensions, which are not places per se, but rather they are dimensional, more attuned perceptual awareness of the vastness of God and the universe. And as we become more aware of the increases in our dimensional awareness, our vibration changes to adapt, which must remain high enough to sustain. And this takes time as we accept and allow and integrate this vibrational awareness. So, you want to change the mind and stop manifesting negativity in your life, as well as move into a higher spiritual dimensional relationship with God? Then focus on forgiveness, gratitude, and love, and bring them into your heart. But as we heal and we move out of our woundedness, we get glimpses of being pulled into a, a non-linear awareness of who we truly are, although it has yet to be fully realized. And higher dimensions of our awareness in ourselves, God, and the universe allows us to live in the pure light of unconditional love, knowing that we are all connected, knowing that we are all one. Our relationships are limitless, no longer perceived as being bound by time and space. And this is key, especially if you need to forgive one who has hurt you, but is no longer on this earth. You know, they have passed. How do you do that? Well, forgiveness, gratitude, and love are not bound by time and space. And neither are relationships. You know, I remember uh, in the book Tuesdays with Maury, Maury always say that, you know, uh, death ends a life, but it doesn't end a relationship. And that's so true. And that's so true. And this is why we can find reconciliation with those who have gone on before us, let's say. Okay? So living in higher dimensions of our awareness means living from the heart living from the soul. We connect through our hearts, and we can actually feel the connection and love instantly. And through this, we can discover and rediscover our true creative power. And so all experiences then are embraced with gratitude, as the soul knows that everything has its purpose for you know our growth and expansion, expansion I should say, of our consciousness. Well, I'm Dr. James Houck, and you have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. 
thank you for spending this evening with me. And if uh, you weren't unable, we were unable to spend the whole hour with me, but you had to go here and there and so forth. And again, invite you to go on the website and download in a couple of days the uh, the full podcast itself, and even check out some other uh, podcasts in the archive section. So, in the meantime, until we talk again, I would just ask that everyone be safe, that everybody be well. And above all, everybody behave yourselves. Take care. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments or prodding around to buy a book by Dr. Hauk. It's all there. Just wander over to reclaimingauthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific, on BBS Radio TV.